What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer, one of the voices behind the CNBC podcast Squawk Pod. In these times of uncertainty, we want to make sure we're bringing you, our listeners, as much information as possible as quickly as we can. That's why we're sharing with you now a CNBC special report, Markets in Turmoil. Listen in. Good evening. I'm Scott Wapner. On day 95 of the coronavirus pandemic, the number of cases around the world tonight now topping one million. We're also learning this evening about big problems with the federal government's plan to help business owners. Many banks do not have the guidance from the Small Business Administration. On the eve of a rollout of a crucial lifeline for individual business, trouble and doubts surface. At the current burn rate, we have about six days of ventilators in our stockpile. A major scare for New York State, but a warning is heard across the country. Where are the ventilators? This CNBC special report, Markets in Turmoil, begins right now. Here's Scott Wapner. It is good to have you with us once again, and we begin where we always do your first look at futures after this day on Wall Street. Right now, slightly green across the board for the S&P 500, the Dow and the Nasdaq. Today, stocks rising thanks to oil's biggest one-day rally ever, nearly 25 percent after the president said he expects Russia and Saudi Arabia to cut production. The Dow rising more than 450 points or more than 2 percent. With that surge in crude prices, oil companies, not surprisingly, led the way on the Dow. Chevron up 11 percent, while ExxonMobil rose more than 7 percent as well. Problems emerging, though, tonight on the eve of a plan to bring relief to American small business owners. CNBC's Wilfred Frost reporting J.P. Morgan will most likely not be able to accept applications tomorrow. Our Kayla Tausche breaking the headlines all day on this. She is in Washington once again. Kayla, we're hearing that this plan may be imploding just as it's trying to kick off. Well, Scott, for the banks making these loans and the small businesses wanting to borrow them, there's still so many outstanding questions just hours before the program goes live. Just a few minutes before we came on the air, Treasury posted the detailed guidance that banks needed to know how to extend these loans. But the lack of that detail earlier on had led some major financial institutions to tell clients these loans will be available soon, but not tomorrow. Treasury is still tweaking this program up to the minute based on feedback it's getting from the industry trying to assuage some of these concerns, raising the interest rate to 1% on these loans after community banks pointed out they would actually lose money, lowering at a rate lower than that. Big banks have said unless fraud and money laundering rules are waived, they'll have to keep normal compliance measures in place, which means they can't approve new loans as quickly. So far, Treasury has declined to do that. And with far thinner staffs than the last financial crisis, Washington has still managed to take swift action to put these programs unprecedented in size into place. But with speed, there are hiccups, Scott. Tonight, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin says it's important to start getting this money out now. 
We now need to execute. We need to get money to small business and American workers, and that's what we're doing. We've heard feedback from lenders, community banks, regional banks, and we've spent the last 24 hours making this system even easier. So this will be up and running tomorrow. This $350 billion program is going to be dispersed on a first-come, first-served basis. Scott, a staggered rollout would raise a lot of questions with borrowers who are unable to get this money from their banks before it runs out. A key question, though, answered tonight, Kayla, about independent contractors. And there are many, and they are now able to apply for this, but not quite yet. But they will be eligible? They will be eligible. That program will be up and running about seven days from now, Scott. There are still a lot of open-ended questions on that program. Uh, it seems that Washington's regulators and the agencies who are rolling out these programs are taking this step-by-step, -step, getting this one out the door first and dealing with that one in about a week's time. Kayla Tausche in Washington again for us tonight. Kayla, thank you. With us tonight, two special guests. Sheryl Sandberg is the chief operating officer of Facebook, which is offering ad grants to struggling businesses. Also, investor Kevin O'Leary. As you know, he owns dozens of individual businesses. It's great to see you both. Cheryl, thank you for being here. Kevin, good to see you again. Thanks for thank having you. us. Cheryl, tell us about this program. Who is eligible for the $100 million in grants, and how do they get it? So it's obviously such a hard time. And, you know, the business of Facebook is small business. So we've been in touch all the time and certainly from the beginning of this. And they told us really clearly they needed financial assistance. And so cash grants along with ad credits. So a few weeks ago, we announced $100 million globally. And today we're sharing that we're doing $40 million for the U.S. alone in 34 cities. And you can go to facebook.com um, grants for business to learn more about the eligibility criteria. But we're looking for small businesses with two to 50 employees that can apply for grants that we can help. And how will you make the decision on who gets and who doesn't if it's a first come, first serve uh, program, essentially? So ours is not a first come, first serve, first serve program. We have a grants partner in Eureka, and it's a, part, it's a business Kevin is intimately involved with. Um, and they're going to help us make those decisions. But we're going to ask, what are you doing? What does your business do? And what are you what are you going to do with the funds? Kevin? Cheryl, can I ask you a question uh, regarding the covenants in place? Because I can guarantee you every one of my companies is listening <laughs> to you right now with bated breath because they're also applying to the government program, which is in a little bit of confusion, as you've just heard. But, for example, I, if, if I'm a business that has a preference share from a venture capitalist, I cannot apply to the government loan, which is a huge problem for lots of startups. Are there any covenants like that in your deal with small business? Well, our criteria is <laughs> much more limited. We're basically looking for companies that have two employees to 50 employees. And that was basically the right way we could scope it for the 10,000 businesses we thought we could provide support. But we're also doing other things that all businesses are eligible for. So starting today, we're helping people buy gift cards on Facebook because that's a great way to support a business. If you can't use their services now, you can pay now, give them the cash and do it later. And the other thing we're starting today, which is really new for us, is fundraisers for small business. So you've been able to fundraise for nonprofits on Facebook for a long time, and you've been able to fundraise for friends or for you know specific needs. But now we're going to start letting small businesses run fundraisers and people run fundraisers for small business as well. 
And Cheryl, did I hear you correctly at the outset when you said this is about cash grants as well as ad credits? Yeah, the $100 million, the majority is cash and some is ad credits. And that really mattered to us. We want this to be available to everyone, not just people that are using our services. So we don't care in this process if you use Facebook, use Instagram, and we're providing the majority of the assistance in cash. Interesting. So once a business is able to get some of this cash, do you care how they use it? Actually, we're really trying to rely on them. We think small businesses know better what they need. We're asking them, what's your business and how would you use the money? But we have no specific restrictions on what they can do and not do. And we're hoping they use it, you know, to keep afloat and really to pay employees. We'd like to see as many people out there be able to support themselves as possible. It's up to them. We're letting the small businesses decide but we're hoping this gets pretty broadly distributed. Kevin, you have a good read, obviously, on small businesses, given the number that you've invested in, both on Shark Tank and, and, and beyond. So you can speak to the plight of these businesses tonight. What are your businesses going through? It's what we've learned. And we, we, when the bill got signed on Friday at around 245, we were crawling all over it by 330, trying to figure <laughs> out how this was going to work. And clearly what it's done is try and focus on retaining employees at the same payroll rate that they were getting on February 15th. Because the period that you look at in this, in this offering from the government is Feb 15th to June 30. And so when we, we were planning on reducing or furloughing employees or firing half or reducing salaries and all those strategies when, went out the window and we realized what the government was trying to do to make this a forgivable loan, which is extremely valuable to a small business. So now what we've done is turned against the landlord. If I were a REIT, and I've had plenty of conversations with landlords and private landlords, we've basically told them, I'm sorry, we're not paying rent in April, May, or June. You can tack that on to the end of the term period. We've also gone to suppliers and said, look, we're trying to keep our DNA alive. We're doing everything in our power to do that. I'm sorry, we're not going to pay you. It's been really, really tough because we know we're going to have to wait seven, eight, maybe nine weeks to get this money. That's why Cheryl's dollars are really important, not just the dollars. The number one spend for a small business in America, 90% of the time, is Facebook because it provides geolocking so that you can actually work within regions and test different pricing and sell inventory close to where the customers are. I love that. I, I don't care if it's cash or it's ad grants. I'll take either. I'll take both. I'll take anything to try and keep these 51 businesses afloat right now. You know, it is really interesting if you see businesses. There are some businesses that can really make some really big shifts. There's a distillery called Canae Farms Distillery in Illinois. They sell vodka and gin. But you know what they're making now? They're making hand sanitizer. And they're not just selling it. They're actually doing awareness raisers and fundraisers to give it away to local police officers and firefighters and people who need it. There's an art studio run by a woman named Leanne in Pennsylvania. You know, her business is an art studio. People come in and do art classes. So she started doing those on Facebook Live and then selling the supplies and shipping them to keep herself afloat. And then there are businesses that really can't do much during this period. They don't have the ability to move what they do online. And those are the businesses that just need things like gift cards, fundraisers, grants, so that they can bridge, bridge this gap. It's pretty inspiring to see what's going on, but it's also you know, a really tough time. And so it's all hands on deck to try to do everything we can to keep these businesses afloat. This is our economy. And Kevin said, Cheryl, how much small businesses rely on Facebook for their, their advertising. 
Um, so you must, you must have pretty good visibility then today on what small businesses particularly are doing right now and to the degree in which they are hurting and maybe not spending on your platform the way they used to before this crisis started. What can you tell us tonight about that? So we've been really clear. Our business is going to take a hit. All marketing businesses are. But we also realize how lucky we are. We are a very big, very well-funded company. And our goal right now is really to support the small businesses out there, not just the ones that are our customers, but the 140 million that rely on us You know, every single month. One thing that's really worth thinking about is how expensive it is for small businesses to do things online. And this is a moment where more of them need to migrate online when they can. A third of small businesses in the United States don't have a web presence at all. That's because it's expensive to hire someone to build a website, to sign up for a service, to have a mobile app. Now, if you couldn't afford that before this crisis, you can't afford to do that now. It's one of the most important things we do is we give everyone a free mobile web presence. So, you know, in just a few minutes, just the way you sign up for Facebook or Instagram as a person, you can sign up for your business. And those tools are really being taken advantage of. We rolled out a business resource hub right at the beginning of the coronavirus uh, time period. We're seeing five times the amount of traffic we normally see to a business hub there because so many businesses want the information of here's how I get online, here's how I start attracting customers, or here's how I let my customers know what my new hours are or where, when I'm going to be reopening. You had $20 billion in, in ad revenue last quarter alone, which leads me to the next question, I suppose, is will you do this again? Is this just the first or do you plan to do this again? We are talking about $100 million. Yeah. So we're really close to small businesses and we're staying in touch. The first thing we heard was a need for cash to get out the door. So we're getting a lot of, a lot of cash out as quickly as possible with great partners like Eureka. Then we heard that people wanted to do gift cards and fundraisers. So we're rolling out those products. We've also heard a really big demand for online training. We already provide a lot of free online training, but we're doubling down and doing much more. And we're going to stay close to our businesses, close to small business, and we are planning on doing more. So I will have more to share in the coming uh, weeks and months. I'm sure there's some folks out there tonight who, who said $100 million is nothing to sneeze at, obviously. <laughs> but Facebook did make, as I said, $20 billion in ad revenue last quarter alone, hoping that, that you would do more in the future. Yeah, and we're looking at small business. We're also looking at local news organizations. We announced this week $100 million for news organizations so that we can help local newspapers cover this crisis. We're working arm in arm with partners like the WHO, the CDC, to make sure that we get information to people and take down misinformation on coronavirus. So small business is a very important focus for us. And we're also working across a number of fronts. Do, do businesses have to use the money w within a certain period of time? No. And they don't have to use it on Facebook. That's really important. The majority, the majority of this is cash. And a, a business owner can, can take this cash grant and use it in any way that they want. They don't have to use it towards retaining employees, hiring new ones. What happens if a small business owner gets a grant from Facebook and decides just to keep the money because the business is, is doing so poorly because of the crisis? Well, I think that's probably paying themselves, but we're working all of this out as our eligibility criteria, criteria come in. But here's what I know. What I know is that there are businesses doing incredible things out there. There's a mom's club in the UK 
it's a mom's running business and they sell running apparel. Do you know what they're doing now? They are having moms run and deliver medical supplies to to the elderly who can't leave their homes. I don't know if they're making money doing this, um, but I think we're looking for creativity like that. That's why we're not saying you have to do A, B, C, or D, because I don't think we ever would have thought of that. And if they a business wanted to do something like that, that's something we absolutely would want to support. We mentioned also at the outset the, the issue that, you know, you're trying to help newspapers. News organizations, especially small ones, are having problems. That's, that's well known. The access and need for critical, correct, and accurate information now is more important, arguably, than ever as we deal with this, this global health crisis. Two weeks ago on a blog post, you wrote, and I quote, our focus has been on keeping people safe and informed by making sure everyone has accurate information, supporting global health experts, and stopping misinformation. Can you tell me what exactly you're doing tonight to stop that misinformation, and what, if any, you found over that two-week period since you first wrote that blog? Yeah, it's critically important that people are safe, and safe means not getting bad information and getting good information. So we've been working with the WHO and the CDC and local health ministries around the world to get bad information down. So if there are things that you know people say would cure the virus that would cause imminent harm, we take those down. We're also really critically working to get good information out. So when the UK government decided that they wanted to get everyone to stay home, we were one of their partners and we really put it at the top of everyone's Facebook and Instagram experience in the UK. Here's the new announcement from your government. Similarly, handwashing. The WHO asked us early on to do videos showing ourselves handwashing. I did one with my fiance, lots of people did one, but teaching people that they have to wash hands for 40 seconds to 60 seconds, that's actually a really long time and those videos really helped as well as other critical information. And so we're working to make sure the bad stuff comes down and really importantly, the top messages, the top messages get out to the people because this information's never been more important. And that also really does include local news right now. Local newspapers are struggling, as we all know. And this is a moment where people need to know what's going on locally. And so we wanted to help support that. How much misinformation are you finding? You know, it's Facebook and we have almost 3 billion users. So we find it and we take it down. The good news here is I think some of the challenges we have over the last few years have really set us up to be able to respond more quickly This had happened a few years ago. We didn't have systems around misinformation. Today we do. Now we have third-party fact-checkers. We've done grants to third-party fact-checkers to make sure that they can cover the coronavirus uh, misinformation really quickly. And so we'll continue to do it. We've also, unfortunately, you know, you see people trying to make money on this, trying to run ads saying that they have something that will protect people. And those were very aggressively taking down. Kevin, lastly to you, will you be applying for any of these grants or ad credits for any of the small businesses that you own or invest in? I've probably done it while you've been talking. I'm sure. (laughs) Believe me. Uh, You know, uh, Cheryl, you mentioned at the risk of piling on when it comes to small business. And let me speak on behalf of, you know, 30 million small businesses in the United States. Give often and give generously and we will pay you back in spades because we, we, we use your platform. You mentioned on there that you were going to give some training because what I've learned over a decade, you know, in the last particularly five years, the Facebook platform has gotten more and more and more complex. And so if you're a large company, you can afford consultants to understand how the algorithms have changed and how to get more productivity under customer acquisition. The small guys 
are very inefficient at using your platform. I'm, I'm just telling you the facts. They could really use some help there. So if you're giving them you know, grants in advertising, what's the plan or how do they actually get the services to be trained to use it efficiently? They could probably enhance their productivity by 50% if they knew what they were doing. No, I think that's right, Kevin. And it's, it's great to hear from you because you are so close to so many small businesses. So we've been providing training online under a program we call Blueprint for a long time. But you're right that that training is more urgent than ever. So we are rolling out new trainings, trying to make it as simple as possible and trying to say, okay, here's the training for how you start. Here's how you get yourself an Instagram business profile or a Facebook profile so that you can Facebook page so that you can have a presence, you know, Instamobile, Instamobile presence right there. Here's how you target customers. Here's how you do a good creative. You have to put some basic stuff on there. Remember to put your hours. Remember to take a picture so people can see what your business looks like. We have a new feature that people just asked us for that we put out for temporary status. So we can say, hey, these are our normal hours, but right now, here's what we're doing. That was a feature people asked us for as part of the trainings we provided we just rolled out. I know, so I know everything from the most complex to the basic. I, I know we're talking about small business, and that's the focus. But lastly, about your own big business. Are you keeping all of your employees? Have you laid off anybody, furloughing anybody? We've asked executives who've, who've come on if they're willing to take a pledge of no more layoffs. Will you do that tonight? Yeah, I mean, we're lucky. We are, you know, a very large and, and you know, we are in a very good position. So we are not just paying all of our employees, but we are repaying everyone, employees, contractors, whether people are sick, healthy, can work, can't work, everyone's getting full pay. We guarantee bonuses for our employees at a higher than normal rate, um, but we're actually hiring. So we expect to hire 10,000 people into our product and eng teams by the end of the year. So our hiring is, in, is keeping at a very, very aggressive clip through that. And we feel fortunate to be able to do that we also have the responsibility to do that, to keep our own employees, but hopefully hire more because we need them. But also, as we started here, to help small businesses who don't have the deep pockets we do so that we can help them uh, do the same thing and stay afloat. Cheryl, we appreciate your time very much tonight. Thank you. That's Cheryl Sandberg, Chief Operating Officer of Facebook. Of course, Kevin O'Leary of Shark Tank fame. Kevin, thank you. Thank you, Scott. Thank Cheryl, you, Cheryl. Th Thank you as well. Thank you. This CNBC special report, Markets in Turmoil, is coming right back. Big news from one major airliner. These numbers will shock you. Plus, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former head of the FDA, is back as new fears emerge over the amount of ventilators in the country. Before the break, images from around the United States of America on day 95 of the coronavirus crisis. idea that's inspired countless new ones from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives 30 years ago state street launched the spider s p 500 etf spy a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does 
What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's good to have you back with us. Two Carnival-owned cruise ships carrying passengers with flu-like symptoms and several that died have docked in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Debate over whether the ships should be allowed to come to Florida went on for more than a week. Breaking tonight, American Airlines cutting its flight schedule even further. Our Phil LeBeau in Chicago with those breaking details. Phil? Scott, not a surprise given the fact that bookings remain very weak for the summer season. So American is going to be cutting its international flight schedule for this summer by 60%. At the same time, it's taking 25 of those routes, and they're saying, you know what? We're just not going to fly those this summer. Here's the problem for the airlines. The number of people who are flying, and these are just domestic screenings right now from the TSA, it continues to fall. Yesterday, just 136,000 people were screened by the TSA. This is down 96% compared to the same day a year ago. And here's the statistic of the day that will make you say, wow, this is how bad it is for the airlines. United Airlines President Scott Kirby at an employee town hall today was talking about the state of the business. He estimates, Scott, that the daily revenue for the company is down $100 million. Think about that. Every day, their revenue is down $100 million compared to where it was last year. Phil, staggering numbers. We're going to remember these numbers for an awfully long time on many different levels. That's Phil LeBeau in Chicago for us. Here is tonight where we stand with the virus. Disney says it will furlough some non-essential employees starting on April 19th. A new survey shows about half of all working Americans say either they or a household member has lost at least some income due to the pandemic. A Seattle-area nursing home facing a more than $600,000 fine for its handling of the outbreak at the facility where nearly 40 people died. And the Democratic National Convention being moved from July to mid-August. Let's turn now to Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He's the former FDA commissioner, now a CNBC contributor. Dr. Gottlieb, it's good to see you again. Thanks. Grim number to start with. Globally, cases today passed the 1 million mark. New Jersey cases spiking, 25,000 there now. How concerning is that number to you? Look, very concerning. And New York is about to have the most cases of any country in the world except for the United States. I do think that what we're going to see, though, is in the Pacific Southwest, Pacific Northwest, you're going to see cases flattening out. Washington State, San Francisco, Los Angeles still looks concerning. Um, New York's going to start to flatten out in the coming weeks. I think the attention is going to shift to the southeast. I think you're going to see um, Georgia, Florida, Louisiana, um, although not quite in the southeast in the Sun Belt. Um, that's where the case growth is going to be, also Texas. And so how big this epidemic gets in the United States is going to turn on what happens in those states. And keep in mind, those states were slow to implement the mitigation steps that you saw in New York, certainly Massachusetts, Detroit, um, Illinois, which which are cities that are grappling with big outbreaks right now, but they were early to implement uh, steps to try to mitigate that. Um, States like Georgia and Florida were very slow. So that could be a very difficult situation going forward. Are you surprised to hear the governor of Georgia say what he did about not realizing that uh, asymptomatic people could be contagious? I was. I mean, you know, uh, hopefully he misspoke. But you have seen a lot of governors really lag in um, taking action here. And they had a head start. Florida certainly had a head start. Georgia had a head start. There's still a lot of governors in the Midwest that have a head start. Um, Even rural states have dense populous areas, uh, have some cities that could be 
hotbeds of spread. And so any governor right now that hasn't taken aggressive action um, but doesn't really have a big outbreak in their state should count themselves lucky up to now and use the time that they have to get in place the screening, prepare their health care system, start cutting elective surgeries off, um, and start taking these mitigation steps because they can come out of this better for it. But uh, if they don't take that action, this virus can really go anywhere. I mean, this virus wants to go everywhere, and really any dense population area can become a focal point of spread right now. Dr. Gottlieb, we always talk about the path forward. Let's do it right now with a tweet of, of yours from earlier today. Quote, if we don't develop effective therapeutics by summer and have them ready for fall, much of what we're doing now could be lost as COVID-19 comes back again. We must take a new, more concerted approach than ever before to industrializing development of a drug. What does a new, more concerted approach mean? Well, look, I think regulators should be working hand in glove with uh, product developers right now and trying to place some bets on what they think the most promising therapeutics are and try to accelerate their development in an unprecedented kind of collaboration. We've seen this before. We've seen regulators work very closely with companies in areas of unmet medical need. The oncology division at FDA has done this historically. We have rolling submissions and what they call real-time review, where, where basically drug developers are submitting information as, the, as it accrues, as they get it from clinical trials, to try to accelerate the development process and give very quick feedback back to drug developers on what they ought to be doing to advance products to the development. We really need a Manhattan-style uh, Manhattan Project style effort here to try to get a drug. If we don't get a therapeutic, I think we will. I think we will get a therapeutic. But if we don't get a therapeutic by the summer and certainly by the fall, this doesn't go away. This becomes something that really impedes our lifestyle going forward. I think we'll have a therapeutic, but we really should be placing a lot of bets right now and making a concerted action to get that. Lastly, I'll read you something Bill Gates wrote and get your reaction to it. There's no question he said the United States missed the opportunity to get ahead of the novel coronavirus, but the window for making important decisions hasn't closed, he said. The choices we and our leaders make now will have an enormous impact. Are you confident Dr. Gottlieb, that our leaders will make the decisions that Mr. Gates is talking about? Well, some have, some have not. I think every state right now needs to be looking very hard at the actions within their state and making sure that we're sticking to these mitigation steps. They're blunt instruments. They're, they're imprecise. They're unfortunate that we have to do this, try to separate people. But it's the only tool we have left. And until we have a therapeutic this is what we have to do. Until we have very broad screening in place, this is all we can do. We can't do the so-called case-based interventions, trying to find people with the disease and isolate them. There's just too many at this point. So every state needs to be doing this at this point. And hopefully, you know, we have seen in, in cities like Seattle and San Francisco, they are having an impact. And I think there's glimmers of hope in New York that they're having an impact there, too. But there's parts of the country that still aren't doing it and parts of the country that are late to the game or really not enforcing it. And you heard that from Dr. Burks tonight in the press conference as well. When you say every state, are you now saying we should have a national shutdown? Well, look, I don't think the federal government is going to step in and do that. So we, we should just take that off the table. I think governors um, have to take action on their own at this point. The federal government's given guidance to every state. That guidance does dictate that governors take steps to put in place, you know, um, self-quarantine orders, basically asking people to uh, stay at home, asking businesses to shut down restaurants, bars, asking uh, businesses to have people telework. That really is a direction from the federal government. It's not going to be imposed on the state, so it's up to the governors. If you look in the Midwest, there's still a lot of governors that have not done that and some governors in the South. Um, and again, there were states that were slow to do it. Watch what happens in Louisiana and Florida and Texas. I think it's, it's going to be important to watch because those states were slow to implement these measures, aren't implementing them with the same vigor that states in the Northeast are. Um, and I think, unfortunately, there's going to be consequences for that. I hope not. I hope I'm wrong. But we need to watch that very closely. Let's hope they're watching or listening to you this evening. Dr. Gottlieb, as always, thank you.
That's Dr. Scott Gottlieb with us again. There is Thanks much more ahead on this CNBC special report. Markets in turmoil. Ahead tonight, finding opportunity in this mess. It's the path forward for individual business owners from coast to coast. Marcus Lemonis joins us next. Plus, one famous chef's challenge. How will he keep his business alive? This CNBC special report, Markets in Turmoil, is coming right back. If you are watching tonight and have questions about managing and protecting your money, financial advisor Winnie Sun from CNBC's FA Council is ready to talk to you on CNBC's Facebook page. It's part of our Invest in You Ready, Set, Grow initiative to help Americans navigate these turbulent times. To ask a question, visit Facebook.com forward slash CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. I speak to the president occasionally, but just received a call from him. Said he spoke to Vladimir Putin yesterday and spoke to MBS today. Oil surges on a CNBC report. There may be a truce in the price war between the Saudis and Russians. S&P 500 up two and a quarter percent. When the bell rang, all 11 S&P sectors were up. This CNBC special report continues. Once again, here's Scott Wapner. All right, we're back. Let's take another look at futures quickly. Right now, after a pretty decent day on Wall Street, the futures are negative across the board. Red for the Dow, 76 points in the negative Nasdaq S&P as well. I said that's after the Dow picked up 469 points, about 2 percent. The uh, S&P 500 and Nasdaq were both up around 2 percent as well. The catalyst was oil's biggest one-day gain ever, up nearly 25 percent. The energy sector set the pace up 9 percent on the day, while utilities and consumer staples were next best. More than 6 million Americans filed for unemployment insurance last week, a staggering number. And tomorrow we get the government jobs report for March. Also tomorrow, a small business loan program supposed to go into effect. But there are questions tonight about whether it will go on as planned. Let's bring in now Marcus Limonis. He's chairman and CEO of Camping World, the host of The Profit, of course. Our own Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter. Marcus, this is it. This is the eve of, of what these businesses have been waiting for. What's your advice tonight? My advice is to be prepared and understand that I don't want you writing checks before that money hits your account. A troubling fact that I'm finding out today is that people are anticipating that at 12 o'clock noon tomorrow, you're going to be able to go online and easily apply. No problems at all. 
And then all of a sudden the money's just going to show up in your account. And so to start with, yeah, there's going to be glitches. We need to have a little patience here. Steve Leisman, some tweets of yours got my attention earlier this morning. I made note of them about a small business owner you spoke with who talked about how they might use that money. Tell us. Well, basically, the, the question for this small business owner, and I think for every small business owner, is whether at the end of this eight-week period, there's still going to be a going concern. So this person was wondering out loud whether or not, hey, take the loan from the government, keep the employees on unemployment benefits, and then pocket the loan so this person could, play, could pay um, uh, his own taxes. And I think, uh, you know, we've been listening to Marcus for all these years on his great show, The Profit, and he tells us right away, if it ain't worth doing, if the business is not going to be in existence eight weeks or 10 weeks from now, then it's not worth putting in the investment to keep it alive. And that's really the question I think you have to ask yourself. Is it worth taking that loan? And is it worth uh, uh, keeping employees on a payroll if after eight weeks, if this goes for 12 weeks or 14 weeks? And Scott, I think it's a big reason why the government has to maybe step in and say, you know what, if this goes on longer, we'll be there for you and encourage people to keep their businesses operating. This is a big question, Marcus, and I reckon Steve's uh, friend uh, isn't the only one thinking this way. You know, I think the biggest concern that we have is, are a lot of people going to take money that they, quite frankly, shouldn't be taking, and are they going to use this to do things? I want to remind everybody that this is a loan program, not a gift program. And so you are signing up for a 10-year loan, and then when you follow the process, you'll be able to have a portion of the loan forgiven. This is not a gift process. And so if you were on the edge of not being able to survive before, this is not a good idea to take this on because you don't know what the ramifications are of the bank coming back after you for that loan that you've taken. Part of the issue here, Steve, that I think is important is looking at the other side of this crisis. We need business owners to survive. We need these businesses to get this money and to hopefully be able to retain their employees or do whatever it takes so that there is a business on the other side, that there is a contributor to the economic rebound that we all hope for. You're absolutely right, Scott. When, when, when we look economically at what really causes recession, it's not idling of productive capacity, it's destruction of production capacity. So a small business lays off its workers, keeps the lights sort of on and the heat on, that's a different story from the guy going out of business. The guy going out of business is a whole nother ramp up period. And Scott, the timing here is so very critical. Again, you know, Marcus is the expert on this, but a lot of small businesses live in a hand to mouth kind of way. They don't have a month or two months worth of savings. If this goes on for eight weeks, yeah, maybe a bunch can scrape by. But you talk about 12 weeks, 14 weeks, 16 weeks, you're going to be talking about the shuttering of small businesses here. And that's why the timing of this disease is spread, spread of disease, the containment of the process, and the ability to get this money out the door very quickly. I don't think a couple days matters for this small business program. I do think a couple weeks matters a lot for the Treasury and the SBA to get this program going. Real quickly, let me just challenge that real quick, because one of the things that small businesses have that larger businesses uh, don't have is a, a significant amount of debt. And so you're dealing with small business owners that either own their property or they have a very friendly landlord. And so you're gonna be able to get out of those things. And one of the things that we wanna do this week and next week is educate these small business owners about how they can train their associates to take advantage 
of the unemployment benefits that are out there, of the CARES Act payments that are going to be made to fill that gap. In most small businesses, you're right, Steve, they don't have a lot of money, but they also don't have a lot of burden on top of them. And so Marcus, in a lot of these bigger Marcus, businesses, I'm not going to deal with. I'm not going to argue with you about small business. I will say one thing from this business owner that I did talk to, which is that he completely agreed with everything you said. He did say it takes one creditor to ruin the whole thing, that if some guy is not going to give them forgiveness, then it becomes a big question if they go after him personally. Uh, if it's a big creditor to the business that, yeah, the landlord can be good, the utility can be good. But the guy who loans you X, Y and Z equipment, if that person starts to foreclose, the whole game could be up for a small business owner. That may be true. But the reality of it is, is that we don't know the viability of that. They're going to foreclose, go into the courts. There's time. We all know those things take time. And quite frankly, I don't see any big business owner deciding to foreclose because what are they going to do with the equipment? Sell it to another small business that's closed? We'll see. What are they going to do? Gentlemen, this conversation will be continued. I promise you that. Thank you so much, Marcus Limonis. Of course. Five million times, Scott. Five million <laughs> times that every small business is having this conversation right now. Yeah, and we wish them all the best, of course. Steve, thank you, Marcus, to you as well. The Profit with Marcus Limonis. He'll join us tomorrow, by the way, at 7 o'clock Eastern as well. The Path Forward, your business. We're going to speak once again with individual business owners about their struggles. We'll take your questions as well. Please send them to us using the hashtag CNBC Path Forward. We'll see Marcus again tomorrow evening. Here's what's coming up on this CNBC special report right now. Markets in turmoil. Ahead tonight, one big name chef on what he's doing to keep his dreams alive. And stepping up, what a pet store owner is doing to chip in in troubled times. Before the break, images from around the world. back now. He's been named chef of the year and Wall Street Journal magazine named him food innovator of the year in 2018. Now he's had to shutter his restaurants and lay off more than 800 of his employees. Joining us now is Momofuku founder David Chang. David, it's good to see you. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you for having me, Scott. I follow you on social media, so I know how frustrated you've been and how angry you've been in dealing with all this. But for those who don't, can you just tell us what the last few weeks have been like for you? Um, it's been easily the hardest, uh, couple weeks of my life. And I think that's the same for every restaurant owner, small business owner, hourly employee, documented, undocumented, you know, this, this has been absolutely brutal to see people suffer as much as they have and close friends pass away because of COVID-19. You have a Momofuku relief fund that you set up. I want to make sure we mention that. 800 employees we mentioned that you've, you've had to lay off. Do you know how they're doing? Are you able to stay in touch with them? You're thinking about things like health care, and they're thinking about how they're going to feed themselves and their families in the weeks ahead. Absolutely, and it's not just Momofuku. Like, there's so many other businesses 
that need help. It's every single restaurant and small business in the service sector that needs help. So it's uh, overwhelming to think about. And um, it keeps me up at night all day. You know about the, the government program, obviously. Will you be applying for money tomorrow? Um, still working at it. It's not nearly as simple as it seems. Um, but honestly, it's not my main concern about getting the restaurants open for myself or even our industry. I think the number one priority, while that's important, and I hope to do it, and I hope to reopen our doors one day, uh, but that's not the top priority. The top priority, unequivocally, is to get cash into the hands of hourly employees, ASAP. Are you worried that that's not going to happen? We've heard about checks could take five months for paper checks to get in hand in the hands of, of people who need it most. When you hear something like that, what is your reaction? Quite frankly, it's embarrassing that other countries have a better program, whether it's Canada or the United Kingdom. United Kingdom especially has a job retention program that is so much better than the $1,200 that you're going to get one time. They are, they're offering up to 2,500 pounds uh, a month if you're able to be retained by your employer. And I, this is America, and we need to be doing a better job. And I know it's a logistical nightmare to make this happen and to administer this, but this is one thing that we can control. It's hard to control the outcome of the coronavirus. There's so many events that need to happen for that to occur, therapeutics, a vaccine, so on and so forth. But we can do this, and it's beyond frustrating because documented workers and undocumented workers need this money ASAP. You, you said in the New York Times recently, I read, quote, we may be headed for a worst case scenario as it relates to the industry. What did you mean? Well, I'm tired of planning for, you know, maybe somewhat optimistic outcomes. I think we need to plan for worst case scenario and hope that we're wrong. But I mean that, and you've had all your previous guests say the same thing, that small business is going to be affected in ways that we haven't seen maybe ever in our lifetimes. And it's hard for a restaurant specifically in the service industry and hospitality sector that has low margins to begin with uh, to, to stay afloat. And uh, I just have a hard time seeing any business, whether you're well-funded or not well-funded, uh, survive this epidemic. And that rebuild is something that we need to keep an eye on for sure. But it's hard to hard to fathom what it's going to do. And I think I said some number like 90 percent. But unfortunately, I, I think I might be right. I hope to God that I'm wrong. We wish you the best. That are your colleagues, your employees as well, everybody in the restaurant industry. Thank you for being here tonight. Thanks, God. All right. That's David Chang joining us, the Momofuku founder. We'll be right back. Quick look at futures before we go. Red across the board tonight for all of us here at CNBC. I'm Scott Wapner. Please be well. Shark Tank is next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.